Hey, you ready for this deal, Jimbo? Hey, Cody boy, you know I'm ready. Old stories like long lost friends Rodeos and late night bends History before our time Round pens and pasture rides Cowboys of the Osage Woo, Jimbo, I love hearing that song that Lane wrote for us. That's such a great song, and uh, I never would have thought we'd have our own theme song. Well, guys. I wouldn't have either, but it just fits our podcast perfect. I know. It, gets, it has that Osage twang, somebody said. Yep, absolutely. We, we have our own style of music up here now. Right. Um, Jimbo, he's been a big songwriter here lately. We'll be debuting one of his songs someday, I'm sure. Oh. Howdy, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Cowboys of the Osage podcast, brought to you by the Ben Johnson Cowboy Museum, located right here in historic downtown Pahuska, Oklahoma. It's O'Cody here, and as always, I have my old co-host with me, my partner, my main man, Mr. Rodeo Historian himself, Jimbo Snively. Good morning, Jimbo. Good to see you. Who do we have today? Hey, Cody boy, it's just another great day in Osage, and... Cody, we've got the one and only uh, Marvin Cantrell with us today. Uh, Marvin was a heck of a bulldogger. He made the finals in the Cab Open. He was a national finalist steer open. And actually, in 1976, he won the year-end championship for steer roping. That was that year when they had the year-end champion, and they also crowned a world champion who won the most money at the finals. And uh, But he was a year-end champion. Uh, 1976, and uh, he'd been a champion, uh, ACHA, uh, calf rope, roping horse champion several times. He rode them. He's rode cutting horse champions. Just an all-around great horse trainer and just an all-around great cowboy, and we're just really happy to have him with us today. And Marvin, welcome to the Cowboys the Osage podcast. I appreciate it very much, and it's my pleasure to, for you guys to invite me and be in, in the Ben Johnson. Yeah, I appreciate it. We're just really happy to have you, man. Um, where'd you grow up at, Marvin? Uh, on that Richard Ranch in Brady, Texas. Okay. Were, do you always want to be a cowboy? Well, not really. I just, my dad run that ranch there, and, and, uh, and they had lots of screw worms back then, and and uh, you had to doctor, rope and doctor them old sheep and goats, and they, they had jillions of them. And they were just sort of natural, I could catch them. And uh, then after that ranch is sold, my dad went to work for another place up there. And Harold Heath was the foreman of that outfit, and he wrote professionally, and a tremendous good horseman, and, and he traded lots of polo ponies. And, and, uh, up on where he lived, they had 150 of them muley buck sheep, and they all had worms every Saturday morning. They pushed them up in the corner and let them out and go rope them, and, and old Spanish boys would uh, get a hold of them and doctor them and just go get you another. And I just sort of fell into the love with it. And and over the years, I got to meet some great people, and I watched them, and 
and they helped me, and I'd rather been considered a, a good horseman than I had to have been a world champion roper, because I just I just loved a good horse. Right, right. Your dad was a professional roper, you said, Marvin. No, he was. He just he just worked on that worked on that ranch in Brady. For well, that's why I grew up fifteen, sixteen years, and then sold, and and he went to work for another ranch up there. He was just a he was an outstanding cowboy. Well, what got you interested in the rodeo business, Marvin? Well, like I said, when we got to roping them buck sheep up there with Harold Heath, and Harold was a professional roper. He matched up all the tusks back in in those days and beat them because he always rode a good horse. And he always he he always concentrated on his horse uh, to be you know to work and and then then uh, I just fell in love with it and and then Punk Snyder had a stud called Scooter S and he was a tremendous roping horse and Harold would ride him a lot in them match ropings and things and I got to meet Punk and just. Well, I broke a lot of colts for him, and I fell in love with that, and got to rope a lot there because he roped a lot of goats. And and then I, as I just sort of growed up through the juniors, and, and went to the junior rodeos, and and uh, I was fortunate enough at Big Springs, Texas, to tie this calf down. And I, of course, I'd read them books all about you know the pros, the ropers, all the champions, and that Hal would get that magazine and everything he'd give to me and I'd read all about him and but I'd never met Toots Mansfield. And I tied this calf down and he said, uh Sonny Boy said, You look pretty good. He said, and I need to talk to you whenever this thing's over. So when it was over, I didn't know who Toots Mansfield was other than his name or I was going out the back down there and he was sitting there on that horse and he said, Sonny boy. And I walked over her. He asked me what my name was, and I told him. And he said, well, you know, I'm I'm going to put, a, I'm put on a rope in school. And so I don't think anybody's ever done it before. And he said, I'd sure like to have you. And I said, uh, of course, he'd introduce himself to me. And I said, well, Mr. Mansfield, I don't have two nickels to rub together, and I couldn't pay. He said, I didn't say anything about you paying me. He said, I'm going to have it. I'm just telling you about it. And he said, looks like you've got the makings of a pretty good hand. And said, I'd like to see if I could help you. And I said, okay, I, I appreciate that. And, and he said, anytime you come down that road there in Big Springs and I'm there, stop. And he said, I think I can help you. Well, and I'd come by, I'd stop. And, he, and I always wanted to thank a calf like Jim Bob Altizer. And then Toots showed me how to pull that run your hand down and pull that calf's neck up on your arm and then just pull his flank over to your hip pocket. And, God, that was easy. And it just sort of blossomed from there. And then as I growed up, well, uh, I was going to MAJRA rodeos, and I, I went to West Texas and ran into Johnny Barfield and Doug Miller. Well, I stayed out there that summer and, and worked on it, helped them work cattle and things, and we'd go to junior rodeos. Well, back then you could order a PRC, and I had a really good brown horse then. And, and back then at those rodeos, you could join the, the 
the PRC rodeo on the permit. And so Doug and I went to Hobbs, and I'll be doggone if I did went around and mess around and win pretty good in the roping. And Una Butler said, well, she said, you're going to have to join the PRCA before I can pay you. And I said, well, how much is that? And she said, $50. And I said, I don't have $50. And she said, well, I'll cash your check. So that's why I joined the PRCA. And 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 th- over the years, it just sort of went to work. The boss men always paid attention to the guys that, you know, did things that I thought was right and win. And, and, and just luckily, I went to San Angelo. I roped to San Angelo ever since I was 19 years old in the calf roping. But, and I seen the tripping, and I thought, boy, that'd be nice because we had to rope some old wormy cows and stuff out in the pasture, and I liked that weight. Are you still there? Yeah, Did I lose yeah. you? No, we got you. Yeah, we're just listening well, to you here, Marvin. Well, anyway, I always wanted to trip them steers after I seen it. Well, uh, Kelly and I, we got to go on them rodeos up there in Oklahoma, and I ran into Kelly, and we become friends. And Kelly was roping calves and tripping them steers, and his dad said, "Looks like uh, uh, you roped them calves. You got a pretty good horse." Said, uh, and I said something about wanting to trip them steers, and and I guess that's why all his daddy said what he did. But anyway, he said, "If you'll help Kelly with the calf open, he said we'll help you with the steer open." You're talking about Kelly and Corbin, for those that don't know. I'm talking about Kelly Corbin, yeah. yes, and his father. Yes. And and I stayed there with him and went to them rodeos, and, and Kelly showed me how to do it. Well, all them toughs back then, you know, Everett Shaw and all, all the old-timers would go there because Earl had always kept 50 head of good steers, and they had big steers, too. And I was always watching them guys. And boy, they'd get out there and get it on one to be 10, but they'd hold that trip and go off down there, down the middle of the arena, and they'd ride up beside them cattle and let the cattle leave them and, and then go, which is supposed to be the way you did tie big cattle down. But I couldn't understand why they was attacking them. I'd ask Kelly, and he'd say, Kelly, Kelly said, Well, you don't want to duck out there. I said, You'll mess that horse up. He'll get the one to take a step out on you. You don't want to do that. So I, I, anything Kelly said, I, I, I believed it. And I tried to do that. And so anyway, there had an old horse there called Policeman, and he was just a good one. And that's what Kelly let me ride most of the time. And, and I just sort of rode up that away, and, and I went to Vanita. And I'd be doggone if I didn't win the all-around there and got my name on that trophy. You got to win three years in a row. And I went back a jillion times, but I never could win the all-around again. So, but the rest of the thing just sort of over the years just fell in, just fell in place. And then I guess uh, I met Sonny Davis there at at, uh, at Benita. And, and over the years, we've become friends. And then when I moved out there in New Mexico on that ranch for 13 years, and, and I really concentrated on that on that tripping. And 
Sonny helped me a lot, but Kelly started me, and our majority of it is Kelly. And, but anyway, then after that, well, uh, I was lucky enough to run across that old gray horse old war. Well, I had a nice bay horse there, and, and he died, I call it, the, two days before the San, uh, San Angelo Rodeo, uh, steer roping. And by golly, I roped Ted, but I never went back after that. But one time, two times on war wagon and place both times. But anyway, that old horse is so great that it was just unreal. And and in uh, 76, I didn't ever keep up the, the money or nothing like that. And I wasn't a much of a glory hunter. But I always just wanted to have a good horse and tie every one down as quick as I could. Well, in, in, in 1976, I didn't even know it, but Clemax found I was really close friends. And at the banquet there in Laramie, he said, well, Marvin said, I'm pretty proud of you. He said, you broke 12 time records. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, I'll check with it, and it's true. And I said, well, what about it? And he said, well, you tied the fastest steer, placed it every steer open they had, and won the most money. And I just, I couldn't believe it. And I said, well, that is really great, and, and I'm proud of it. And I thank everybody that got me in here, but I'd rather be considered a good horseman than, than, than be a champion. And, and I really believe that. And, Hey, Marvin, a lot of people don't know how they crowned the world champion there for a couple of years in 76, and I'm not sure if it was 77 or 75. But uh, how, did the, uh, how did the association crown the world champion on those years? Okay, okay. Uh, back over the years. And how did that come uh, about, you know, I, I, if, if you know? Well, uh, the way that come about is Leo Camarilla, had sued PRCA, and he, he, I guess he won his case, so they decided that whoever won the NFR should be the world champion, and whoever was won the most money, before that, whoever won the most money was world champion, whether they won anything to finals or not, but after they changed the rules there, for three or three or four years, I can't remember. Whoever won the most money was a PRCA champion. And Lord be God, at the finals there in, in Laramie, I had the worst finals I've ever seen. I think my first four steers just come out, went to the left, and I'd get it over, you know, time down quick. But that fence is right there at the left, you'd have to go by and go to the back. Anyway, I finally placed a time or two. And, and that's how Charles Good won the finals. He was a world champion. I was a PRCA champion, even though I broke four records and won the most money there ever been won in the history of the tripping. $10,200. Hell, they won that much. Yeah. One rodeo now, but that's the way that comes down. Going back to some of your cab roping days there, Marvin, <clears throat> when you started, there was a lot of tough cab ropers back then, wasn't there? Yes, they were. I mean, you're talking about Glenn Franklin, and, Junior Garrison, Sonny Davis, Olin Young, guys like that. Right, and you know, as, as Brady was sort of the, I mean, it was a, it was bad, a lot of roping there, and, and West Texas down there, they just, yeah, if you went to a roping, 
I got here, I drove against two or three champions. Right. And that's tough. And Dan Taylor, that would always put on a rope in that duel, well, heck, four or five of them champions be there. And then Charlie Boy Davidson over at Old Hunter put the big deal on. That last week, trip steers, rope, whatever over there. But I, I rode up with some tough, tough guys roping. And my friend Sidney Renfro lived at Melbourne, and he was going to school up there at, at the Harden Simmons. And there's a bunch of them Bill Tig, Gip Lovejoy, there's speechers of them strings and and he'd 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 come over out them roping and we'd become friends and I really learned how to how to to handle that string a lot better after you know, he he, he knew some shortcuts and and it it just went to work started working working for me. And I give C a lot of credit for helping me there and and Punk Schneider and and Hal Heath and and just all them old champions just seemed to like me and they'd, they'd help me and then uh, I got off into that horse showing business and with and old man Amy Gambling I helped him a lot down there and he he lived right below us and uh, and I met Matlock Rose and, and a lot of those top notch trainers and and we just become good friends and. And I got off in that cutting horse business, and and it, 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 you know, I didn't know a whole lot about it, but I was lucky enough to build a good horse, and and uh, you mentioned, it just sort of blossomed up to that. You mentioned Amy Gamlin. Uh, a lot of people might not know, but he was Clyde Burke and D. Burke and all of them's brother-in-law. And uh, that is exactly right. And he's probably one of the best horse trainers. Uh, back in the older days that there was. Yeah. And, My grandfather and he'd said. Always, he'd always tell me, he'd say, you're pushing them horses too much. Well, I love to trade horses, and, and I had to make them work quick to, you know, make a profit out of them. And he was always telling me, you got to slow down. You're just pushing them too much. Well, after I got old and quit, I, I really understand what he means now, but. Yeah. Back then, I, I didn't. He was pay really. A lot of he was really a good hand with the horse, and my grandfather said that he's the one that kept kept the Burke, Burke's horses working for him. You know, back in the day. That's it. That's exactly right. Because see, he was married to their sister. Right. And and he kept all the horses working, and he said that was the toughest job he ever had. I bet it was. Old horse trader, you know uh, Jimbo that. Most of my family, they're from Clovis, New Mexico, right. and uh, they my granddad's place was right across the street from the from the horse sale barn there, the old farmers and ranchers. Right, and he worked directly for the horse sale, and he rode all the horses through for everybody. Did you ever see him doing that, Marvin? Who's that? Pete Garnett, my granddad. Yes, Pete Garnett was a very dear friend of mine. Done lots of business. If there's a good horse coming through there, he'd call me. Him, Jimmy Cal would call me. And I got to where hell I just they called me and tell me how to get and I just buy him. And and yes, I knew him real well and then I had that big cutting up there at the ranch at NCHA cutting where we matched uh Dry Dock and Mr. Sam Tepe and matched Bridalist Cutting and Dry Dock beat Russ Buster and Mr. Sam Tepe at that cutting. But Pete put on he had a chuck wagon then and he come and cooked and and served, you know, dinner and supper there for 
all the time without cutting. Yes, Pete Runnett was was a sure good horse hand, and he he really knew how to fix them them tripping horses because uh, he worked them to a wagon. And boy, when you work a horse to a wagon, he he makes the tripping horse a whole lot quicker. I guess they get to listen to your voice commands and well, yeah, things like you know. That. To, to really have a horse, you got to bond with the horse, and he's got he's got to trust you. So if he gets in the jam, he knows you're gonna get him out without hurting him. And and over the years, I, I was fortunate enough to meet Dan Randall that trained all them chariot, horse, uh, chariot horses for movies and all the corsage horses, and he showed me how he told me how to fix war wagon. I, I, when I first started on him, I drove the cattle in the eyes. Well, boy, if you rope one in the eye and the horse would land on the end of it like they're really supposed to, they'd kick you. You couldn't time. And I got tired of that. And, and I talked to Sonny, and Sonny said, Well, you're roping them cattle really good. And you rope them in the eyes, you know you're roping the horse perfect. So I didn't worry about that much to fix your horse. So, where is it? I believe it was. One of them rodeos up in the Northwest. And Glenn Randall always liked me because I'd go set at his deal and visit with him. And I went over there one morning and I told him, I said, Mr. Glenn, I need some help. And he said, Well, tell me. He said, What's the problem? And I told him, I said, When I rope one in the eyes, uh, I said, That horse lays on the end of it. And he said, They kicked the heck out. I can't win that. And he said, I can tell you in five minutes how to fix it. And I said, Okay. And he says, uh, I know you got that horse stopping when you say, whoa. I said, yes, sir. He said, okay. He said, you just you don't even go to walk in him in a circle. And after you walk about two circles, he said, say, whoa, real light. Don't holler at him. He said, just say, whoa. He said, because you holler a horse don't understand its voice and, and, and the loudness blurs and they can't, they can't apprehend that blur. It scares them. He said, just say, whoa, and when he stops, he just side reins up his neck and let him take one step back. And I did that for about 30, 40 minutes out there, and that old horse got to where every time I'd say, whoa, he'd stop and just take two steps back. Well, I was up the next day in the roping there at Cheyenne, and, man, I get it on him before he gets to the camera and got, got him laid down nice. Whoa, war wagon, I call his name. He just took a step back on him, and I think I was 13 or 14, and back then, that was a tremendous good run. And just through life, I've just been fortunate. The good Lord just blessed me being around those professionals that were outstanding horsemen that, that had to make those old, stupid horses work good for them. What do you, what do you remember about Toots Mansfield? I know he helped you with flanking the calves, but what else – did he maybe help you well, with Marvin? Well, he's a, he's a, he's a, we went to, me and my dad went with Harold Heath to Brady, Texas, to the rodeo, and Harold was roping, and I'd, I'd heard about it, this before I'd met Toots, and I'd heard about Toots Mansfield, and them books and things, and, and Harold had always told me he's a, a tremendous roper and a good horseman, so... And we pulled up our, uh, to the roping well, Here's this guy with a one-horse trailer and a Pontiac car. Sit there, and he had this gray horse tied to his trailer. And I mean, he was a pretty gray horse. And so we drive up there and, and stop, and Harold gets out and unloads his horse. 
and this guy's over there brushing that horse. And I said, Harold, who is that? he knew I loved them gray horses. And he, I said, who is that man brushing that? He said, that's Tooth Mansfield. I said, really? He says, yeah, that's him. And so anyway, he brushed that horse off and saddled him, opened up the trunk of his car, and he had two suitcases in there. And he opened this one suitcase up, and it's completely full of white shirts. And he pulls this old brown wrapper off his white shirt and puts it on, stuffs his hands in there and sinks his horse up and stepped on him. And I told my dad, I said, I ain't buying nothing else. I ain't wearing nothing else but a white shirt. And he said, why? I said, because two months for a war. And to this very day, I do not know own nothing except a white shirt. Mm-hmm. That's pretty neat. And nearly, nearly, you go to a roping or somewhere and says, Marvin, here is where you look for a white shirt. That's him. Yeah. You know, up there in Wyoming, right Wyoming, they have a roping every year, Jimbo. It's called the uh, Andy Tillard Memorial Roping. And it's the rules. You have to wear a, a white shirt up there. Yeah. If you wear any other color besides a white shirt, disqualified. Yeah. You're exactly right. Do they have that at Douglas, Wyoming? Yes, sir. I went to it at, at Wright, Wyoming, over there, Lee Eisenberger's place. That's where they well, had they, they, last time I they, roped there. They might, they might have it at different places, but uh, they had that rope in there at Douglas because uh, I, I went to roping and tied the fastest steer there, and they gave me an old buckle for the fastest steer. I was 12, one or two on him, but no steers are big and and, you know, there's seven, eight hundred pounders. You had, to, you had to really do your business to tie one quick. But you're 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 exactly right, Mister Cantrell. You said something a while ago, and you just barely brushed on it. And I think this is something that everybody would love to hear how it transpired and exactly what happened that day. This match cutting horse uh, you had at your house between. Two of the greatest horses and the greatest horsemen in the world. Can you can you tell us a little bit more about that? You well, barely yeah. touched on it. Yes. Uh, Buster Welch was riding Mr. Sandpeppy. And uh, Dry Dock, Mel Chartier on Dry Dock. And, and Dry Dock and, and Mr. Sandpeppy was nip, nip and tuck during the end. You know, during the NCHA cuttings, and and Dry Dock won the maturity one year, and he's a full brother to to Dockalina, and I just thought it'd be an outstanding deal to have that match between them. Uh, there, there's, everybody was always talking, this one is the best, and that one is the best, and you know, I just I want, I thought it'd be nice fit, so. I asked them if they'd have a match uh, cutting there, bodies, pull the bottle off. And they both agreed to it. And I believe I had Gail Borland and, gosh, it might have been Jack Newton. I can't remember. But it, uh, Gail Borland was one of the judges. And and we had all those 50 Hereford, Heifers there, two-year-old Heifers. And they were, you could just put a string across their back. There's all the same and gentle. Well, Dry Dock beat Mr. Sandpeppy there. And there's quite a bit of conversation about it for a good while, but he dang sure beat him. There wasn't no, there wasn't no points given nowhere. 
and and the judges, sure enough, they judged it like it's supposed to be, and everybody was happy about it, and everybody enjoyed it. Wow, that's really something. Boy, Cody Buster Welch. I mean, you couldn't name a bigger <laughs> legend in the, in the horse world, not just cutting horse, just in the horse world, you know, that a well-known name is Buster Welch. What was he like, Marvin? Uh, no, nah, he was a nice guy, really a nice guy. And he was always really good to me. And and uh, I'd bought a horse. Well, Matlock had trained his horse for the for, for the fraternity, and then he sold him to an old guy down there at Goldthwaite, Texas. And that guy cut on him a little while, and he wanted to sell him. And I was, I was looking for a, a nice gilded. And Dennis Thunderbird and I were friends. And Dennis told me, he said, I know where there's a nice gilded. He said, he's going to cost some money. And I said, well, what is he? And he said, he's Reed Jabar. And, and I remembered the name because Matlock was tra- training him for the fraternity. So anyway, it boiled down and. And the old man wanted to sell him more than $15,000 for him. And I told Dennis, I said, well, if you can get him, bring him up here at the ranch, because I can't get off, because we're, brand, we're, we're branding. And I said, I can't get off. I said, if you're getting him, bring him to the ranch, I want to just lope him in a circle or two and cut, cut a cow on him, and I'll tell you yes or no and pay you in cash money if I like him. They brought him up there, and I rode him on one cow, and I just bought him. And by golly, I, I had awful good luck with him. And I, I, I went to the El Paso. And I showed him the first five times I showed him. By golly, I went to cut him. Well, we get to San Antonio that year at the stock show. And, and they take the top five horses in the NCHA open back to the rodeo to cut during the rodeo. And they had two sets of cattle there. They had a black set of cattle and a Hereford set of cattle. And they just flipped the coin to see which one they used in the finals, and they used the, the Hereford cattle in the finals. And so, by golly, uh, I made it over at the finals. Well, I was the first one up and that night in the cutting. And... I wasn't too nervous, but because I, I trusted that old horse, and Matt Locker holding herd for me on the right side, and I cut that first cow, and she tried him, and he nailed her right there in the middle, and she ran across that pen once. Matt Locker said, "Sit still, cowboy. It's looking good." I could. That's the last thing I remembered. And when it was over, they marked me 150. And man, I was I was walking seven foot tall in there, you know, happy. Well, here comes Buster on Mister Sandpepe, and and they mark him one hundred and fifty one, so he beats me a point. And we're going back across over there to the stalls after it was all over. And anyway, Buster's walking along there leading his horse, and me and Matlock was going across there, and Buster said, "Mark." Said I'm really proud of you. Said you really look good today. Said but you, you just didn't beat me. And Matlock said, Buster, his name is not near as legible as yours, and why he beat you, why you beat him. And and Buster said, well maybe he'll pay his dues like I did someday, and he he can do the same thing. I, I luckily got done. And I thought that was a big joke. 
but that's just about the story of my life, tell you the truth. It just uh, the good Lord just blessed me being around some tremendous horsemen in the world and it just took care of me, I guess. You know, we got a connection to Matlock Rose right here at the museum, Jimbo. We do. Did you know uh it is a state auction here a while back. They sold his bridle bit, John Israel bit with his Matlock's favorite bridle and everything. Over twenty thousand dollars for a John Israel bit because it would belong to Matlock Rose. Did you ever use any John Israel bits? No, sir. I was always a Bill Clapper fan, and and I, at one time I had a hundred and forty-seven pair of Bill Clapper of uh, Bill Clapper bits for headstall hanging in my saddle house. That's over a million dollars right now, Jimbo. Wow. Oh shit! Right now, there ain't no time. I got one brand new pair that I've kept in the safe. And I got a pair out here at the saddle house I use, and I got a bunch of them stole from me over the years. But anyway. Marvin, uh, you said no. that you guys used to trade some polo horses back in the day. Yes, sir. Are you familiar with Harold Berry or Tommy Wayman? Both of them are their, their friends, and, and uh, uh, old man Cecil Smith was first 10 go polo player and he lived that right down by San Antonio and Harold he traded lots of polo ponies with him and that's how I met him and and uh, he said he, he said and I told him when I got to trading them horses I sold him two or three horses and he invited me to come down and and spend some time and, and ride with him and boy I couldn't wait to do that and, I went down there, and I'd never been on a flat saddle before, but he sort of showed me and helped me what to do, and he finally got to let me, let me uh, stick and ball them horses there at home, you know, and, and showed me. If you think you've got a, a horse really, really broke in, in a western saddle, you put a flat saddle on him, you'll see how unbroke he really is. And, and Mr. Cecil, he'd go all over the world putting on them schools and things. And he'd always bring back bits with him all over the United world. And I'd take that pattern and give it to Bill Clapper. And that's how Bill and I, when Bill was building them bits, he was right south of the tail, Texas, up there in a little old tin building. And the, I stopped there going to Vernon at the rodeo, and the first set of bits I bought off of them cost $12.50. And then they got up to be two fifty, and then, then just whatever he come to all them stair openings, and I just tell him, bring me them uh, 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 as many as you gonna bring me, and that's how I acquired all them bits. We become good friends. And old Bill, he's a tremendous. And then during that big sale that Matlock and Carroll had, they sold one of Bill Clapper's bits in there for twelve thousand five hundred. A 27 is just like the one I got hanging in my safe right now. You know, a lot of people don't know that that Harold Berry and Tommy Wayman, two of the best polo players to ever live that came that come from America, they're from right here in Osage County, Jimbo. I know it. Both of well, them. Well, that Burbank, is absolutely. Burbank, Oklahoma. That's, yep. That's absolutely the truth. And Roy Berry was a big stout son of a gun. And I'm telling you what, he could knock that ball plumb across the world. And I always admired him because he was long-armed and, and I was long-armed and, and I always admired him. And 
And finally, there, Mr. Caesar let me play in one of them little half gallop games. And, and if, if Roy was riding a green horse, he'd ride him in them half gallop games, you know, get him sort of season. And, 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 Mr. Cecil always said, now you watch out for what Roy said now. He, he's, he's liable to put a little fear in you because he's liable to knock you around a little bit. And boy, we're going down through there. He, he would he'd holler at you and say, hey, punk, get out of the way. I'm fixing to move over you. Well, I didn't know what the hell he was talking about the first time that happened. And he bumped me a little but not very hard. And then when it sort of scared me because it ricocheted me. We got back over, I asked Cecil, I said, what's the deal? He said, well, I'll tell you what, uh, next time we do this, he said, I'll bring old Charlie with me. So he brought old Charlie with him, and next time he said, when you go down there and Roy does that to you, he said, you just look over your shoulder and tell him to come on. And he said, you get your right leg in that somebody buck and you take your wrap around that right side of that gag bit and he said you drive him forward and so we're going down through there and here he comes and he said hey begging you better get out of the way i never said a word i just took me around and drove my spur in the right side and here he came he bumped me pretty hard but it, it ricocheted him back out of the way and that's how that's how we grew we become really good friends wow you said, isn't, that, isn't, that, isn't that funny how life goes on? Yeah, it sure is. You showed, uh, over the years, you showed several champion, ACHA champion cab horses, Marvin. Yes, sir. What was that uh, like? Well, it was tremendous. And, uh, yeah, I had five ACHA uh, champion rope horses, junior horses, and there's calf horses, heel overhead, overshoes. And, and I had old rodeo Jack, and I bought him when he was a baby off a hired pitcher, and he was a stud, and, and he, he was good, and he was the only stud to beat it. And the stud he had beat all summer, we got to the AKHA World Show, and they left the pen of us down there at the back, and they called out the world champion. Well, he got down to me and that other horse that he'd been beating all year long at all them shows. Uh, I just knew I'd go win the world. Well, hell, they call that other horse out of the world champion. And Rodeo Jack was a reserve champion. And I had him entered in the NCHA fraternity, cutting fraternity. And I took him down there and showed him. And uh, he was the only horse at that time to ever beat a reserve world champion halter horse and, and make it to the semifinals in the NCHA Cup. Wow. And like I had him, he was ROM in seven events, and one time I, went, I rode him in, in all three of the roping events that Uvalde in place, and ever go, I placed him in calf roping, and heading, and healing, and tripping on him. The next weekend, I won the NCHA Open at Victoria, on him in the cut. He was just that kind of horse. Did, did you ever uh, participate in the timed event, Marvin? No, I never did. They didn't have that when I was going. Yeah, you just a little bit. Yeah. You'd have been good at that probably, wouldn't you? Well, I'd, I'd have probably had to try them. Yeah. What about your bulldogging days? 
Well, uh, I just watched it and got to liking it, and I was up there at Ardmore, and I, I got to want the bulldog, and old Jim Eskew, the trip rope, the trip roper, uh, had some stairs there, and we run them a time or two, and then I, uh, I, I met Arby Rankin, and I saw over at Burt Burnett, and the bulldog a time or two with them, and Charlie Boucher was there, and there's four or five that really bulldog, and I just sort of went to trying it, and, and, and it sort of worked, and I liked it, and I'm a nobody in the green or the gourd, but I like the old coach of Jim Smith, and a lot of those guys that ride him and ride in there and, and mess with old Colt's head of, you know, trying to make him just stare at the gate. Well, old Colt knew more about getting out of that boxing than those riders did. And, and so I asked Jim one time if I could ride him, and he said, you bet. And that surprised me. But And I rode old Colt, and, and I'd watched him a jillion times I rode him in there and turned him around, and he looked to the right, looked to the left, and I had his head cocked just a little bit to the left, and that stair was just right, and I nodded, and got him caught and placed on him. And I can't ever remember running a stair on that horse that I didn't place. I think he's the greatest stair, and he carried a lot of guys to the championship and the world champion, and I can't ever imagine nobody ever picking up on old Colt and giving him the recognition he really needed. Everybody that rode him won on him. Roy Duval might have won the world on him once or twice. I don't know. But he's, a, he's a, just a tremendous horse. And Jim asked him, he just, I wouldn't even try to score him. I'd just get ready to get out. Hell, he knew more than I did. And, and at Houston, I had a steer that really, really run. And Jim said, you only really get out of there because this sucker's running. Well, I didn't care about getting out. I knew old Colt did because I started forcing up on him. And I just backed him in that corner. He cocked his head to the left. And I just got ready and nodded. And we was four flat in the slack that morning in the Astrodome across that white line. And I was so happy. I jumped up and threw my hat in the air. And June uh, Ivy and Joe, there was a secretary, and, and you know, she cussed like a sailor. And she said, You smart little ass bitch. She said, Don't you know you can't get your hat to the ceiling of this? <laughs> That's but, where all the bull riders got it from. They were copying Marvin. Yeah. Well, I want to tell you one thing. Uh, I give all the credit to the horses I rode. Any time I won, I give it to the horse. And to this very day, I love a good horse. And and I don't know, it might be, it might not be good for me to say what I'm going to say on this interview here, but I cannot believe these guys going down the road and roping the bulldog and down. I'm so proud that they put that deal. You've got so many seconds to get out of the box. They'll ride up, move up, ride up, move up. Well, Jesus Christ, that just confuses the horse. He don't know what you want. 
you see that in the bulldogging so much. You know, they ride a lot of them ride the same horse, and they back in there. And some of them just have the darndest time getting ready, and then some other cowboy will come in there and just turn him around the same horse, and it, and and don't mess with him, and he gets out just perfect. You know, he just stands for him. But they you're got, exactly right, and that just drives me crazy. I just, I just, I just don't watch it like I used to. Yeah, I know. Did you ever bulldog at Cheyenne, Marvin? Yes, I did. What was it like bulldogging at Cheyenne back then? Well, I liked it myself, but you had to really, really be on the on a on a bad on a really on a real horse, sir. One you could maneuver around because the one that knew how to get by up there. But old Colt was so great. If 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 two guys went before you did, or one guy, that horse knew how to get out, and he knew how to catch a cow. It didn't make no difference where he went to the right or the left. He just and he could run, and he would set your feet on the ground perfect every time. That horse would never set your feet in front of him. He'd always take that step to the left and speed up. And when I really got to want to win something in the bulldogging, well, Tom Neesmith was, he weighed 185 pounds and could bulldog 1,200-pound cattle in four. And I went with him about a week one time, and he showed me how to lock. When you get down, lock that elbow, you know, hold that left horn. And lock that left elbow and as that horse leaves you he's going to take that left step to the left and speed up so that's going to put your feet right there and you hit on hit on the side of your feet and slide sideways and with that horn and you with your hand with your elbow locked on it is that horse and your weight leaves it'll turn that steered head straight up the right horn will be sticking straight up in the air and you got to watch it that horn hits you in the eye and and everybody pushes up or your elbow's going to be up and I'll turn that nose up there. He said, always lay that curb chain in your nose and bend your arm. And he said, never take that nose towards one shoulder. Always bring that steer's nose past your left ear. And boy, you can just wring one out that way. After a few times trying it, I guess I got the hang of it. It really worked. Well, you had to come. Old Tama, a lot, a lot of gratitude thanks for that. You had to shake cattle up back then more, didn't you, Marvin? Where nowadays they don't, they don't shake them up. Yeah, yes, you had, you had to bring them around and bulldog them. You can't right today. Every time these horses drop their feet in front of them, the steer will jump over the bulldogger, and these little old cow horn steers are bulldogging now. If you don't get your hand on that horn. It'll slip right by your left rib cage and you're losing. Yeah. But that's just, you know. Oh, yeah. That's just the difference the way times has changed. What do you think of the cab roping these days, Marvin? I think it stinks. They roped them damn little old milk pen calves and the damn horses are ducking off when the jerk line runs out. There's one or two horses that go ahead and work like you're supposed to, and the rest of them, they forget what to happen. Yep. I shouldn't be that way, I guess, but I am. 
And them guys, half of them don't even know how to saddle the damn horses. They cut them in two in the flank fence with them danged old nylon cinches. Well, hell, when they do that, that takes, puts all them guts and takes the hour away from them. Then they sit inside of their butt and kick, kick, kick. And it's just, I don't know how it works. Yeah. Used to be and a I should be, horse trading. I should be. What? What about horse trading, Marvin? A little bit of horse I love trading. It. I love it. And you know, I growed up around some pooter gypsies. I mean, uh, they knew how to cheat you. I was going to ask you about a guy. Did you ever know Clifford Barnes, old Cliff Barnes? Very dear friend of mine. I'll tell you a story about Hold that. Hold up. That's my, that's my great-grandpa, just so you know. <laughs> That's fine. No, I love I, I love hearing stories about him, but I, I figured if you were around many horse sales growing up, you probably ran into that fella. Well, I damn sure did. But there's another guy, uh, god dang, a big fat guy, and he lives up around Appalachia. So Barrington was his name, Claude Barrington. Did you ever hear of him? No, sir, I didn't. Well, Claude Barrington was, and, and Barnes, they, they they bought all the same kind of horses. Well, anyway, uh, I went with Howell to the horse sale up there at Brownwood because it wasn't far. And I, I met all them, them guys like Howell knew them all, and he traded with all of them. Well, anyway, I had a, I was down there. At Mr. Harper's, we rope down there. Alvin Harper and one, then Stanley with AC. We rope down there. And me and AC bought an old horse, and he was a bucking rascal. Cracker Walker over our heck. And Mr. Har- Harper told us to leave that sucker alone, but didn't cost us seventy-five dollars. We thought, boy, we're going to make killing here. Well, anyway, he bucked us up both off the bat. Is unreal, and. We finally got him in that little pen where we could ride him around. So we take him to Brownwood, and and uh, we flipped a coin, and I had to ride him in the ring. And oh man, I did not want to ride him in that ring, but I had to. So we get in the ring. I told these guys, "Y'all keep your whips off this horse. He don't need no whips knocking him around." And I got on him, moved in one hand, he turned around, moved in the other hand, he turned around. Stopped, he backed up the deal, didn't grab his brother, nothing. Well, they went to bidding on him, and they ran him up Brownwood. Uh, Barnes and, and Claude Barrington was bidding against each other, and I think horses was around 300 or something. Well, anyway, uh, uh, Claude Barrington stopped the deal, and he said, Sonny boy, is this horse gentle? And I said, well, he's gentle enough for me. And I just got down. Well, he bought the horse three and a quarter. And and Barnes said, well, that's good. I really didn't want him anyway. And so the next month they had to sell, we was back up there. And, and we pulled up with some horses. And, and this Claude Bington was getting out of his pickup over there. And, and I said, oh, my Lord, that's that man that bought that horse. And, and, and I said, well. He said, only thing you can do is be nice. And anyway, he gets out when he had a walking cane. He's going across there, and I'm out. We're getting them horses. He said, 
a partner, he said, I need to talk to you. I thought, oh, Lord, what's he going to tell me? And he walked over there, and I walked over there. How come we're men? I knew he wasn't going to hurt me because how I would have killed him. But anyway, he said, I want to shake your hand, son. And I said, what for? He said, well, you taught me something. He said, that son of a buck that we bought down there for three and a quarter, he said, that's fucked every son of a buck in the world off. And he said, I don't know how good a bronc rider you are, kid, but my God, you taught me to never buy another horse good enough for a kid. <laughs> and, and Barnes, he, he, he gets a hold of this story, and him and Claude, they ripping in about that all the time, you know. Pete Garnett's the one that was telling me that they'd always talk about that kid that had that horse killing up for, for <laughs> bags. You know, uh, my great-grandpa there, that Clifford Barnes Jimbo, he got bedridden in the later years, and uh, they lived over by Elk City, Oklahoma at the time, and once or twice a week, everybody bring their horses to him, and he'd buy and sell horses right out of his bedroom window. Really? Hundreds every week. Hundreds of them every week. Wow. Yeah. Boy, I'm glad you brought that up. I heard that story, but I never knew know if it was true or not. Yeah, he'd buy them out there, and then my grandma would go cut all their manes and tails off, the ones that weren't going to be riders, and uh, they'd sell the horse hair, and then, and then they'd ship it down to uh, Argentina, I think, on a uh, train. Once they got a train car load of a horse hair. Wow. They well, well, you know, over the years, there was a lady in California that made those artificial tails for horses. And she run barrels. She's a nice lady. And somebody told her to call me. And I might know where there's some tails. She called, and I got her in touch with that boy over at Palestine that killed all them horses. And she'd drive from California down there and fill them 55-gallon barrels up full of them tails that cut off them horses. And that's the way she made a living for a good many years with that. Was that fella's name? It was Gene Earl Alexander, right? At Palestine? Yes, sir. Yes, it was. He bought and sold a lot of horses in his day. Yes, that's true. No doubt about it. Hey, some horse trading terminology. What does hop in the alley mean for everybody that don't know it? That means you give them a drug, uh, run that vein, and, and give them a drug to make them sound or to calm them down, one of those. I thought it was buying them when they came in and then rerunning them during the sale and hoping to make some money on them. Well, now, that's that's what you call rerunning one. So hopping hop in the alley is giving them a shot, to either make them gentle yep. or sound. Gentle sound, yeah, that's right. I'll be dang. I'll be dang. Well, I tell you what, I, I, I'm not going to tell you his name, but I know an old gypsy that made a jillion dollars out of just completely telling, doing things that was absolutely wrong. But the thing about it is, I noticed it and, and, and knew how to keep from getting stiff by it. I seen him buy a horse one time in Brownwood and poured a dozen eggs down his ears that morning at 4 o'clock. And he tried to buy him the night before. And that guy wanted $500 for him. He wanted to give him 250 
and that morning he poured Doug Nagy down some bucks here, and he was running all that yellow stuff out of his nose, and he was standing in the corner with his head down. We walked down the alley, and he said, damn, you should have sold me that horse that 250. Now he's got the simper, and I don't want him. Well, anyway, he ended up getting the horse bought for the 250. And he said, you move that trailer on down there at the back of that, that cotton shed. And he said, I'll be down there this horse in a minute. Well, we got down there, and we get over about 20 miles down the road. He stopped and gave that horse a drink of water and trailer. And we drove on home about another 50, 75 miles, unloaded him out of the trailer. The next morning, he'd blow all that snuff out of his nose, just cleaning a pen. Well, that'll happen. There's a lot of, uh, there's some guys in the horse trading business that gives all horse traders a bad name sometimes. Just those, 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 those old gypsies is the ones that made a horse trader that bad. But what turned my life around was Bill Phillips hired me. That old bastard cash out Philip Trench Frisco. And I broke all them coats for him for two years while Jimmy Bush is in the Army. And, uh, boy, he showed me how to, how to, train the horses the correct way and it made made all the difference in the world my horse training. Marvin, I've never seen a horse I've never seen a horse bring ten thousand dollars. And I'd get my coach road where be have to come down there and I there's hundred and eleven gates on that thing. Well he'd drive around in that buggy and show people the horses and he said, Well get in if you got your coach road and open the gates for it and I'd go open goats. And I, Miss S.K. Kelly was down there one day, and we were riding along. She said, Mr. Phillips, I'm not going to give 15000 but I'm going to give 10000 for that mare. Mr. Phillips says, well, I can't tell the difference in 10000 and 12000 in a horse anyway. He said, you got a deal. And I asked him, I said, how in the world did you ever sell a horse that much money? He said, it's real easy. He tell me, he said, yes, sir, don't forget. He said, have one bred better, look better, and in better shape, and broke better, and ask for it. I changed my style, and that's exactly what I was doing. And I was lucky enough to sell the first calf horse for $25,000 to Milo Africa, Houston, Texas. I was really getting something from one. Well, uh, yes, that was the highest price calf horse that was ever sold. Uh, up to that date, you know. Marvin, uh, we're sitting yes, here in, in uh, Ben Johnson Cabral Museum here in Pawhuska. Did you know Ben Johnson? Yes, he's a very dear friend of mine. What was he, he got, like? I got all kinds of pictures of Ben in, in my house. Uh, yeah, he's a good friend of mine. What kind of John guy? John Miller. John Miller, his nephew. His nephew and I was really close friends, and John, I give John a good black horse one time. And yes, Ben is a very dear friend of mine. Was he a good fellow to be around? The nicest guy I know. That's the, that's the, that's the rumor on him. Anyway, that's the rumor everyone keeps saying he's the nicest feller they ever met. He... he he always had, could remember your name and would always have his hand out for you if he come walking to you. 
And whenever you shook his hand, he looked you square in the eye. He didn't glance off either until handshake was over. And my dad always told me, he said, you shake hands with a man, look him in the eye, that, that's your bond, buddy. He said, you do exactly what you say you're doing. I, I, I think it's a good deal. Did you ever get a chance to see him rope? Ben Johnson, yes. I roped with him down in Houston one time to carry crutches. I've got a black horse right now, a four-year-old horse that is really, really a nice horse, and I named him Ben after Ben Johnson's black horse. That Crutcher Ranch, that was a famous ranch back in the day down there, wasn't it? Still is. Yes, it was. You know, yes, I th- a friend of mine owns it now. I think uh, Mike Uthier and his wife live on it sometimes. Oh, is that right? I think they had a steer rope in there a few times when they were doing. Well, the- they, yeah, they they have them. They have the steer roping for that rodeo out there at Crusher Pen. That's the biggest pen enough to have it in. I think that's all right. Yes, sir. Oh, Mike Uthier, he runs half of it, and then his wife has the other half. It's all polo fields. Mike's half is is about like any other old rancher's place. Right, right. But uh, that Crutcher Ranch, what was it about it made them so famous? I'd, I'd heard of a million stories that they did some pretty wild stuff. Oh, that guy, Cherry Crutcher, his, his little millionaire, he's, he's a, he tried to trip steer. He liked cowboy way of lifestyle, and he traded Argentina and and Brazil back in that country. He just, it just, and he mingled with all the rich people. Marvin, what do you think about the current horse market? Did you ever think you'd see in your life that, uh, which I, I agree, that your rodeo horse needs to be worth at least as much as the rig pulling him? Well, it, you're exactly right, but I never in my life would dream to see horses this high. Three years ago, I just a nice horse that was bred pretty good to make a rope horse or a performance horse of us. You could buy them five or six thousand. Now the same horse will cost ten to fifteen thousand. And a horse you can back in there and go win something is priceless. It doesn't make no difference what you want to ask, so somebody will give it. Yeah, there's a there was a steer roping horse sold right here from Osage County for over a hundred thousand dollars here a few years ago. That is true. Well, Mike, that boy over at McAllister, Mike Hess, what's his last name? Chase, Mike Chase. Mike Chase, he's a good friend of mine. Hell, he turned a hundred thousand down for that little gray horse at Pendleton last year. And I told him, I said, well, if you want to win something, you better keep him. It cost him 200000 to replace him now. Uh, more. It's just unreal. What do you think about the steer roping these days, Marvin? I think it stinks. It's the biggest joke i ever seen. What, what about it per- do you not like, Marvin? Well, I don't like the cattle at the rope, and I don't like the way them guys just run over themselves, jump, chuck, and, and, and rope one and swing a trip over there, jump off. If he lays their six flat or ten flat or nine flat on him, if he don't lay, 
that goes your horse runs off with some buck and everybody's hollering whoa no time then they draw one that delay and they win the go around on him and they don't worry nothing about uh trying to win the average uh, they just go try to win win first every time they go around and and if you don't have a sponsor that just lets you do whatever you want to do or the money to do that, I don't think it's very smart. If if you if you've got a good horse and you tie every steer down as good as that steer will let you tie him down, at the end of the year you'll win more money than they will. But that's just the way I think. What do you think about the way they're running uh, some rodeos like Cheyenne and stuff now where there's not even an average anymore? It's just uh, whoever wins the short round wins the rodeo. It sounds kind of like back well, in 1976 when uh, you won the most money and they gave it to the average guy. Well, uh, I think that, that any time that the PRCA let them, you know, when they founded the PRCA, it was for the cowboy. Well, now it's not for the cowboy, and 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 it's you got to you know a PRCA member. When I joined, if you had a PRCA card and wasn't on the blacklist, you could enter, enter any rodeo or the PRCA had. Well, now you got to qualify to be able to to enter a PRCA rodeo. I think it's a bad deal for for the up and coming ropers. I hate to sound all negative, but I was going to ask you something else. And I don't know if you heard this or not. I don't know if there's any truth to it. Did did I hear that this year that San Angelo, they're not going to have a steer roping. They're replacing it with a breakaway roping. Well, now, I have not heard that. But I know they are going to have the breakaway roping. Because, but I, I, I tell you what, I hadn't been back there and, in four years to watch her open, the last time I was there, they had some little cattle weighing 390 pounds. Jimmy Adams is standing on the line with a flag big enough to wave off Texas. Well, them little old cattle in the shark go, they had to go back to the first go around to get 12 to go in the shark go. And them guys are leaving that box, hitting them in the butt, knocking them down. And every time they get to the scoreline that's fresh hadn't been through there and, and flopped that flag well it just ducked to the left and that left fence is not 20 foot there well hell you get one like that and then you run at him hit him in the butt knock him down and it just I got up and left never been back boy how did they I used to have a big no... cow cutter there oh yeah I'll tell you what one time there one time I left I placed in the I go around the calf roping, and, and and I go around in the stair roping, and I placed an average on one of them, and I forgot what it was, but I left there with 17500 cash money in my pocket for what those gamblers paid me and, and what I won there. One year, one year, my dad, he was going down to San Angelo, and I remember it. I was a little old kid, and uh, my mom was mad at him for going because he hadn't been roping all, all fall. And the Calcutta people called and said, "How's old Rocky's horse looking? And how's he roping?" And she said, "I wouldn't, I wouldn't spend any of my money on on him. He he ain't been roping. He and when he does rope, he ain't been roping good, and he ain't been riding his horse or nothing." Well, anyway, my dad ends up going on down to San Angelo, and uh, he never called home. But the Calcutta person that called my mom called home, matter in hell, because uh, he ended up winning the damn thing. <laughs> 
<laughs> Ain't that the way it goes sometimes? Well, it is, but he's liable to beat you about anywhere he showed up too. Oh, yes, he could have been roping. He could have been roping every day and still beat your butt. For sure, for sure. What about Man, Madison Square talking, Garden? Did you ever get a chance to compete there? No, that was before my time. I didn't know if you would have had a chance to compete there or not. No, that was before my time. Well, they had a rodeo there last year or two, but I, after my time, so I, I didn't know. I never went. 59 was the last Starcia rodeo I think they had there. I think you're right. I don't know. What about uh, hey, what, hey, hey, hang on just a minute. Yes, sir. I'm on that interview, and I'll be there in just a second. Go yeah, we're, we're fixing to wind it up on you, Marvin. Okay. I know we could probably talk for another two or three hours. Well, I've told you about how stupid I am and how hot my thoughts are, but you can take what part of it that you like and use it and what part you don't cut it out. <laughs> yeah, we like it all. We liked it all, Marvin. We appreciate it. <laughs> well, that's a good deal, my friend. And, and uh, It's my pleasure to be invited to the Ben Johnson deal because he's a dear friend of mine. And, and uh, it's just... it's. I'm in four of those things, and this might be the one of the best. Marvin, if you were doing a, before you get away, if you were doing a Mount Rushmore of ropers, just don't have to be cab ropers, steer ropers, whatever. Just just need four names that you'd put on your Mount Rushmore of the, the best ropers that belong up there. To the old-timers? To well, the anybody, anybody you want to put on it. You didn't even have to see them rope. Just whatever you have the respect for, you know. Well, I, I really like I like Tooch, and, and and I like I like the way he wrote, and I like Jim Bob Dill, like Sonny Davis's deal. Oliver was okay, and he got old Mickey, and that's what made him great. He him. And well, that's pretty good four names right there. Hey, Marvin, and, and, let's do one great. more. Let's get. The Mount Rushmore of great rodeo horses. Don't matter what event they were in. What's the best four rodeo horses you've ever seen? In my life? Yes, sir. Okay. First off would be Hillfly, that tripping horse of Kelly's. That was a famous horse. Uh, didn't Ike Rude originally train that horse? Yeah. Yes, he did, but I'm telling you, Kelly kept that horse in good shape, and he took care of him like he was part of the family. Well, he was part of the family. There's one. Well, I got to use old Mickey because I rode him for uh, uh, four rodeos, and Doc Condor's uh, management entered me and I won something at every one of them rodeos on old Mickey here, the outstanding horse, little hard, late stopping, little hard. He had to fit a lot of people different. And I like Vernon, that horse Vernon Cruz had. He's, he's, he's an awful nice horse. And I think that bay horse that Tate Smith got right now is an outstanding good horse. What about old Dutch? Horse, the buckskin horse my dad sold to T-Woman. Where would you rank him out there? 
Well, he's, he's a nice horse. That horse wouldn't fit a lot of people. That horse is big and strong, and, and and a lot of people couldn't ride that horse. That's just my opinion. Yes, sir. I'm just asking. True blue. What's your What's your opinion? I was a little bit too young to know any different. To be honest with you. I did watch a, a tape of the finals here a while back from 1985 or 86 where that horse fell down with my dad and uh, he got back up and worked the rope and he placed in the go-round on him. So that said a lot about him to me right there. Most horses well, probably would have ran off. Well, every time, yep. He was, he was a great horse, but he just always looked like he, he wouldn't fit a lot of people. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And to, and today, he'd scare half of them trippers to death. Because Mister, whenever you dropped his head, he done his thing and done it quick and like he's supposed to. And he was big. He was big and stout with him. I, can't, I thought he might stick Roy Cooper on that greatest list of ropers of all time. Yeah. I thought he might stick him on there. Well, it's hard. To, there's just four names. You know, <laughs> know, it's hard to find a spot for everybody. There's a bunch of them. Yeah. Well, Marvin, you got anything you want to tell the people? Thank you very much for being invited to be on this on this deal. Other than that, he's always got a good horse or two for sale down there. If anyone's ever looking, I think Marvin got some real eyeball stretchers. What do you look for in a horse, Marvin, when you buy one for yourself right now? I just look at one that, that really looks the part, and the breeding is right on him. And if I'd like to own him and keep him for myself, what do you like? How right, tall what, do you like what, a horse, and what do you like him to weigh? Well, I don't want a horse over fifteen hands tall, and and I like a half thoroughbred horse and a half quarter horse. I want a I want a little thin pencil neck on one, and. And, and both sides of your brain working the same. You know, a lot of a horse has got two brains, and if you don't keep both of them trained the same, he's going to be uneven. And, and and I want a horse that can really, really run and run quick. But when I say, whoa, I want him to freeze in his tracks and don't move until I move him. And I want him gentle. I want, I want him to be, I want him to bond. I want him to like me. So, so I get in jam, he'll take care of me. If he gets in jam, he'll know I'm going to take care of him. Do you think a horse needs a lot of outside riding nowadays? It don't seem like I they do a lot of outside riding on these rodeo horses anymore. i tell you what. If you don't have a horse rode down outside until he's tired, I don't know how in the world you train if you get a horse, you ride the horse outside and go somewhere on him. I don't mean hit you a lope, lope him for 20 miles, but just use him and walk, trot, lope. Do what you got to do, but have him tired. Then when you go home and you go to train him, he's ready to take the training and listen to you. But if you've got a horse that when you say, whoa, he'll stop listening to you and it don't make any difference. He's running wide open. You say, whoa, and he stops and waits until you catch him and move him. Then you teach him pretty well to do what you want him to do. I tell you what, everybody better be paying attention because there aren't too many guys like Marvin 
Cantrell no. left out there to get been, some been exposed to the people he's been exposed to, the great legends, you know. Toots, oh, Buster, Buster, Matlock. Yeah. yeah. Come on. Yeah. All right, well, the thing, the thing about it, too, is I put my own money in there, suckers, and had to make them better or I'd go broke. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, thank y'all very much for this interview. And if I ever get up in that country, well, I hope I meet you. We'll all go eat something. Well, let's do it. Yes, let's sounds go do good. It. Thanks, Marvin. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank we sure appreciate you. You have a good day. Hope you make a good trade yeah. on that bay horse. <laughs> the, the year, I don't want to sell him. I want to keep him for myself. But anyway, uh, do y'all have do y'all have a tape of this interview? Oh yes, sir. Yes, sir. What do they cost? Uh, well, we'll we'll see about. We'll just send you one for free. I don't know. If it'll be a tape. Well, be something. Someone you can help you play it. It's going to go out on national broadcast here in a week or two. What channel will that be on? We'll call and let you know. On the Cowboy Channel? Maybe. Probably well, not. It's, uh, it goes out on the internet, Marvin. Oh, I see. I see. I see. All right, my friend. Thank you all a lot. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Yep. Bye. Ooh, Jimbo, what a legend. Oh, yeah. I would forgot that he'd been around some of those people. Amy Gamlin, he was a legend horse trainer. And he mentioned Everett Shaw, Toots, Mansfield, Buster Welch. I mean, just unbelievable. Every major name in the right, right. history of rodeo, cutting horses, right. uh, show horses, bulldogging, calf roping, steer roping, ranching. Right. Holy moly. Right, for sure. What about that? Well, everybody, this has been a, another great edition of the Osage, Cowboys of the Osage podcast, brought to you by the Big Johnson Cowboy Museum. Be sure to uh, like us. Share it, subscribe, tell everybody about it. Me and Jimbo just trying to save this rodeo history now. For sure. See everybody next week. Thank you, Marvin. Yes, sir. Old stories like long lost friends. Rodeos and late night bends History before our time Round pens and pasture rides Cowboys of the Osage